Welcome to this episode of Clarity Generates Confidence. I'm delighted to have with me Jennifer Boss, a co-founder and chief executive officer of Poplar Technologies. I didn't know very much about Poplar Technologies. I went and had a look at some very, very interesting, and I've known Genevieve for a few years, having been part of my coach class. We unfortunately have never met. I love looking at her, but I've ne- we've never met in person. But Genevieve, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. I'm thrilled. So Genevieve, how did you get into all of this? You know, I, I know a bit of your background. I think you're originally from Montreal, then you're now in Atlanta. I caught a little bit of the Southern twang in the voice there a second ago, which I hadn't heard. So you picked some of that up. Maybe a little bit about your background for us, please, Genevieve. I appreciate hearing that. Sure. I'm a I guess, multi-time entrepreneur. I've started and sold multiple companies, mostly in the technology, almost all in the technology space. I'm also an investor in the category. I sit on the board of some deep tech companies like Sewing Machine Robotics, Software Automation, also early investor and advisory board member of a company called Optios, O-P-T-I-O-S, which is super interesting. They can tell from your brain whether or not you're going to make a good trade or not after 300 trades. And this is um, technology that's a spin out out of DARPA, also AI company called AGI. And they're an AI company, Applied General Intelligence, and they're totally, it's really third gen AI, which you probably haven't heard of yet, but it is coming and they are on the forefront of third gen AI. So I'm super excited about that. So it's like this forced, I'm basically paying to learn. (laughs) (laughs) To learn. And, And it's been, you know, just hugely valuable and lots of fun. So what got your interest in all of this technology and all this AI? What would do that? It seems a little unlikely, but how did, how did that happen for you? I'm almost embarrassed to tell you the truth, but I'm going to go ahead and out myself and tell you that, well, it's two things. First, I'm not embarrassed about this. I've been a science fiction fan since I was a kid and just loved you know, thinking about the future. It's just sort of a natural proclivity of mine. But also when I was in college, you know, I didn't go to Georgia Tech. I went to Georgia State. You know, I lived in Atlanta, but I started pretty young. And my dating pool was Georgia Tech, you know, famously where the odds are good because 10 to 1, I can do math. And uh, <laughs> the goods are on, as they say. And so it turned out that I ended up with all these really great guy friends that were, you know, n- neck deep in creating the future. And it's where I got to go into labs and see what was going to happen in five, 10, 20 years and get this incredible, extraordinary vision of how they were going to change humanity's experience and how we show up on the planet. And I was like, oh my God, I, I'm not a coder, but I've got to be part of this. And I quickly realized that some of these guys, you know, they're brilliant, but they are super duper geeky and have a real hard time just having normal conversations and having had a father who was an aerospace engineer I sort of had this interesting opportunity, a mother who's an artist. I was, I, I really realized, oh, I could be a bridge. Now, I didn't know this was a rare thing, but I could be a bridge between knowing enough to be pretty dangerous, but not at the code level necessarily, and really help explain how to help these people. And IE meaning driving business, doing sales, raising money, helping them create this better world that they talked about, but had a really hard time communicating. And that became my life's work, really helping really great engineers find escape velocity for their business. Wow. That's cool. I don't know if you know the background. I'm a chemical engineer by training. Oh, I saw the geek thing. (laughs) I I totally got it. That's why I like you so much. 
Yeah, I have a gadget graveyard somewhere. Someone asked me one time. <laughs> Don't oh, throw them away. They're going to be museum pieces. I, I know, I know. I, uh, well, I, I, I did throw away when I'm trying to remember what it was. One of the first little tablet yeah, thingies that I don't don't think about it scion scion I had a scion yeah. oh that was a great product it was a great product anyway but uh coach asked me one time and they said how many tablets do you have in us so I said to Christine who's my assistant she just said say all of them <laughs> so yeah <laughs> but I can appreciate that and and that but I want to come back to the point about being a bridge and I'm going to bring the a little bit more technical term that we've used is is user interface and and being the usable user interface and I I've always I didn't realize that terminology until I got more involved in actually Abundance 360 when they talked about Mark Andreessen being able to bring the internet, would be sure. in right. ARPANET, whatever, the internet, and being able to create the first mosaic, I guess it was the first yep. language to be able to allow us as immortals to be able to communicate with, <laughs> with, the, with, right. with, the, with the web. And then when I looked at, I'm just going to give you a bit, but when I looked at my business, which has been involved in bringing uh, industrial products from China, you know, I started the tire recycling world, which was kind of geeky in that sense, using liquid nitrogen to freeze things up and break it up and pioneered a bunch of that sort of thing. And, but we, what I realized was that the, there's a value at being at that interface. So we became the interface between China and North America, and we made it easy. I always was mad that Staples got the make it easy button, you know, just hit the easy button and be good. I thought that's the way we looked at our business. We just make it easy. But the value was, so being there at that interface. And I, what you just described for yourself, Genevieve, reminds me of being in that spot. You were able to translate from what they were, the engineers were thinking about to what the world needed. And that becomes that interface. Does that does that make any sense? Does it resonate yes. with you at all? Or is it- and I, I guess I want to go beyond interface because you can have an interface that used to be the baseline, Gary. It's not the baseline anymore. Mm. It's really visioning. Interface now, a good interface is baseline. It used to be that that was just amazing. Now you need to be inspirational. You need to be strategic. You need to be able to also be financial. You need to be able to help your customer, your partner, whoever you're talking to really quickly understand how you're going to help impact their their market share, their margin, their their growth. You got to figure that out. So you have to be also a very quick learner, right? So there's all of that now needs to go together in a way that never was the case even five years, was not necessarily the case five years ago. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree with that. And I think that's it. I was speaking above one dimension in terms of what the sure. and, okay. where, where it fit maybe more physically than in, in from an overall perspective. Oh, okay, sure. But uh, I totally agree with you because you know the the more that we can help the my philosophy, the more that we can do the thinking and help who our customers are. And in which case, when you when you are that bridge, I'm going to look back to your term because I'll, I'll continue that. When you are that bridge, you help both sides. You help people on both sides of the bridge. It's not just one side. Not it's just it's the technology. Those are bringing the technology with those who are going to use it. Absolutely. And, and you got to help both sides of that. Yeah. And that was not something that most that business is really considered to. We look after our customers and the suppliers are supposed to look after us because we're the customers for them, but that's not working that way either. It's it's being that bridge, I think, is important that you've you've built the connections to both sides. Yeah. And and they have a place to cross on. Yeah. So I like I like that tech. I like that piece. So Poplar, how did that all come about? I mean, I know we were to do this interview maybe a year or so ago and it kind of things have changed in your world. So how where are you at now? How did you get to this point now where you're at with that pop? Well, I have a business partner who's also in strategic coach, I guess, in the 10X group that you have mm-hmm. and our free zone frontier. I can't remember. I, there's so many 
elite groups there. But my business partner and I, Lior uh, Weinstein, uh, we started an incubator of our own a couple of years ago. We had some business ideas that we were funding. We also funded some collaborations with customers and we quickly had a million in cash, I don't know, six, seven months. And it was just sitting there in our account. And Lior and I are having a regular meeting and he said, you know, we really ought to do something with this cash so it just doesn't sit idle. Otherwise, we're literally going to be locking in losses I'm thinking what? And he's like, yeah, you know, inflation's creeping up. Banks are offering us almost nothing. Treasuries at that time was like, it's like one and a half percent less at the end of December 2021. Meanwhile, inflation went up to 7% at the end of 2021. That was, by the way, the largest percent change since 1981. And I'm betting a lot of your listeners right now weren't even alive then. <laughs> but so, yeah, well, I, I, I still remember when I bought my first house, the interest rate was 17%. So I'm really so wondering why go, everyone's right? complaining, but that's okay. That's right, good. right. Exactly. <laughs> it's all relative. So Lior, having a deep background in fintech, he actually used to write high-speed algos for Wall Street, right? He said, why don't I invest this money so we make the most of it? Because this is an underutilized asset. I was like, wow, you're absolutely right. So he did, not only was it underutilized, I mean, he started making five to 15% on our money. Wow. Of course, you know, in my update, I'm in entrepreneurs organization as well. My friends are saying, how to, you know, what's going on? So I'm sharing, like, wow, how did you do that? There was so much interest on it. We did, we literally did free workshops, Gary. Everybody wanted these returns. We showed them how no one wanted to do the time consuming and laborious work to do it. Now, Lior can do it really quickly, but your average human cannot. And we knew something was going on because they kept calling. They kept calling and asking, could we help them do it? Start a fund, do this. Well, you know, it's not you don't have to be a rocket scientist when you're an entrepreneur and and people keep calling you asking you to help with their idle cash. You go, "Oh, there's something there." So, instead of building something, we did the research. You know, where is software that turnkeys this so we can turn our friends on to it, you know? Well, it turned out that the small to mid-sized business treasury management space, which for those of you who don't know what that is, that's just managing cash. It hasn't been innovated on in decades, unless you include like sweep accounts, right? And so it's, it's, it's hard. Sometimes people don't realize banks really are just designed to do two things with your money. They lend it to businesses or individuals, or they're running sweeps like treasuries, like Silicon Valley Bank did. Like right? Silicon Valley Bank did, yeah. So what we've done essentially is democratize treasury management because instead of having whatever bank you're with invest their money in treasuries and then give you a small portion of it as a business owner, why don't you take the full margin? Right. You can do that, but it's actually hard to solve for. It's not just moving your money in treasuries. You first have to figure out how much you have to move. When do you move it? When do you get it back? And you need to also track your yield, your profits from that money, right? Mm-hmm. And and so and there's a little more to it than that as well. So really, that's when SaaS makes so much sense because what does SaaS do so well? It takes 30 steps and turns them into a few clicks, which is right. what we went, wow, if we did that, what's the value? And it turns out that this is really great for a lot of businesses. It doesn't really make sense until you have a few hundred thousand dollars, you know, in the bank and or you're a company that really is kind of time shifting payments, right? So like if you are in e-commerce, for instance, you've got maybe a 90 day cycle to buy inventory. Well, that's money that's sitting there. Um, Anybody who's paying taxes and has a good tax bill, that's money you should be saving. Why not get the highest yield for it? So, you know, everybody's got their own use case. 
deposits, right? That sort of thing. There's just so much, let's call it in quotes, free money out there. And most business owners just don't know how to tap into it because usually it's only the big companies. I'm based in Atlanta, Georgia. And you know, you've got Delta, Home Depot, Coca-Cola. I can tell you they have teams of people called the Treasury Department and very expensive software. And their number one job is to get yield on idle cash. I mean, they're dancing in the hallways at Delta Airlines when you have an e-ticket. Because I guarantee you, they are making money on every dime. Every airline is on every e-ticket you've got. And it's an important part of their revenue strategy. Most companies obviously aren't that big, but you know it's amazing how that incremental number can pay for right another person, more inventory, more innovation, or just more money in your pocket. And there's nothing wrong with that. So yeah. Well, it's, it was fascinating because I had Nathan, who is our, our VP and general manager, who was celebrating his birthday today, actually, as so we were in the office doing that. And prior to this, as I was talking about, as we got on. And uh, because we haven't been in the in the position where we've had a lot of cash, but we do right now, and which is in your few hundred thousand at, at this point. And because we, we turn over things relatively quickly, but we can plan it. We can manage it a little bit better than maybe a lot of other people can. We know because our orders are come in and they go out, we can plan what needs to be invested. Yeah. I showed it to him and he said, that was pretty interesting because we've never been, in, and I'm going to say small companies don't have a treasury. If they have money sitting on the, if they have money sitting on their, in the bank and the balance sheet, the bank's got it. And, but it's kind of interesting to be able to, to do what you said. And so my kind of question for you is that the interest rates have the banks, at least uh, I think even in the U S have risen, have increased their interest rates quite a bit. Have yeah. on deposits for the last little while. So, what happens to how does Poplar kind of compete, or where's their positioning? I should say more than anything else, with respect to what the banks have been doing in getting the rates up. Because in the end of 2021, entirely too, by the end of 2022, things have changed had changed an awful lot. And now here in 2023, there's still U.S. is still staying relatively high. Except above, I'm in Canada, they're, they're above the Canadian rates at this point in time, and probably will stay above it for some time. Well, we're not offering we're not offering the rate. We're just giving you access to really a, you could call it a, a marketplace okay. of ways to get money that's safe on fixed income, just fixed income. So we're giving you an opportunity to have access to treasuries and T-bills, which right now is risk-free money. Right. Okay. Now, if we have problems with that, we have much bigger problems in the world. <laughs> ETFs, you know, mutual funds and uh, uni bonds and, and corporate bonds, Microsoft, I was looking the other day, they're paying 12, 13% on your money. You know, so if you're, you know, there are many business owners who the company's idle cash is their idle cash personally. They may be interested in taking more of a risk and doing something like a Microsoft bond, for instance, for a certain period of time. So we're not, we're not telling anybody what to buy or how to buy it. But the reality is a business, a bank is not going to pay you the bulk of a treasury bond value. They need to make margin on that. And they're typically keeping a big chunk of it. So what we're talking about, at least today, this year, it looks like, you know, things change, of course, but we're probably going to be in a higher inflation environment for a while, depending on which economists you talk to. But most say yes, especially with some of the quantitative easing measures, let's call them QE measures that have happened, both with the COVID issue, as well as I'll just put liquidity in the market, not quantitative easing. But now they're talking about with Silicon Valley Bank and Signature, that's sort of a quantitative easing measure. That's just more liquidity in the market, which then could actually bring up inflation. So, you know, who knows? We're yield agnostic. So wherever yield is, 
we give a you business access to that. Yeah. And, and, and all and all the all the, the programming and the, whatever the algorithms that Leora has ever written, just go searching that out because you can gather that information to go and do oh, that. Oh, it's very that... easy. I mean, by the way, let me say, we're not doing anything you can't do yourself. In ah. fact, anybody listening to this can open a corporate brokerage account today and they can open a business account and they can move their money in and out. It's just going to take them hours and it's yep. a pain. Yeah. We'll save them lots of time and money and we're worth it. I mean, we've calculated the time and money. If you've got any kind of balance at all, we're going to make that painless. But so, you know, we're, we're automating something you can do yourself, Gary. And, and you You're know right. what, Genevieve, to me, that's where the greatest value comes. It's, yes. you know, I'm glad you I, think so. <laughs> well, uh, the reason, the reason I think so is I'm in the same boat. I mean, we're taking, we move product, but I've been spending the last two years creating, not me personally, but as a company, we were creating a software to help people order product in containers. Right. And you think that'd be pretty simple. People, how many there are 22,000 containers that can go on a single ship, you know, and how yeah. many you know, that would come, come through like the port of Los Angeles, 900 million or whatever the crazy number is out there. Somebody will correct me. I know. Cause I haven't looked it up, but anyway, it's a big number, but you know, the, the thing is, but they have difficulty figuring out from what they've ordered before, how they need to fill that container with multiple items. So we actually have what we call predictive ordering. You can say, here's what you've done in the past. We have your data and they right. can actually say, this is, and actually fill the container for them. Oh, and they can add or subtract whatever they want. They can see it all graphically done. They can hit a button and makes an order and sends it right to us or sends it to where the customer they want to go to. And that's been done for a long, long time, but it's one of the biggest time consumers of the people who have to make orders. Yeah. And, and then another little simple, I think a simple thing, but more complex is how do you put, how do you put circles into a rectangle? Which means how do you put rolls of rubber or other product into a rectangular box? Right, 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 right. Okay, again, that's that's, yeah. that's 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 a math. Amount. Optimization is a thing. It's it's an optimization. Yeah. It's a so yeah. and so we're talking to even our suppliers and they say you do this, they do this, and they work it out. We say, well, what if you had a program to do it? So they're yeah, our, our young our young guy Ryuji is working on that to do that. So you know what? I don't look for real complicated things because it's those things that you're doing that you and Leo have done that other people can go and do, but you save them the 10 or 20 or 30 steps that it is. And in fact, the more transparent in some respects it is, the greater appreciation they have for it. And I will they, say- I, I could do it. Oh, sorry, Gary, go ahead. I just said, I said, I could do it, but I'm not going to. And you right. do it for me, perfect. Well, there's also, there's also a huge risk management component in this. I mean, I gotta tell you, you know, with Silicon Valley Bank Signature, had they been using our platform, or doing this investment, their money that they weren't using would have been in treasuries earning phenomenal returns right now in comparison to the past and not caught up in the Silicon Valley bank problem. So if you're, or whatever, you know, we, we still don't know how all that's going to shake out. And I know this recording is going to be out in a couple of months. So hopefully this is a one and done, but if it's not, if there is bank contagion, you're going to see people looking for solutions to keep their cash safe. And we're going to be offering one of those solutions. So you know what they say when you're doing a startup, the number one predictor of success is start is timing. Yeah. Yeah. Timing. Yeah. Well, but you've also hit upon something. You, you also hit upon a basic, I should say it's, it's a basic need that people didn't realize they could take advantage of. Right. It's that, you know, if you need to have your money sitting there as we've done, well, if, if it's not really easy and I got to tie it up for a certain length of time because of what the bank's requesting for, and I got to make those decisions. And I, I just finished going through that in one of the companies that I have, and not, not tons of money, but a few hundred thousand and, and go, 
yeah, how long do I do this? What do I do this for? What am I planning it out for? But, and I kind of go, well, I make those decisions. Did I get the best rates of everything? Probably not because I'm still trying to make those decisions as a, with the minimum amount of time, the minimum amount of effort that I need to put into, but generate something, generate some interest or some return on something that's going to sit there that I know I'm not going to use right away. And so I think you've really hit, you've really hit something that, whether the, the banks themselves, uh, you know, some of the more regional banks pick them up, pick it up so they can deal with it. But at least from a corporate standpoint, how many, I mean, all the, like the people we know through all strategic coach, all the entrepreneurs, all those businesses that have got cash capital funds sitting there that are just not being properly utilized. And in today's environment, higher interest rates, higher return environments, we should be, do, we need to be yeah. doing something about it. It's a leveraged asset for a lot of companies. Yeah. I mean, I just, I look at it and go, Oh wow! If I get this amount of money coming in, that's if that's if I, you know, and and I look at things from hey, for how many what, how many workshops would I have to do to generate this money that's coming in now passive right. for me? <laughs> I go, no, I don't. Oh, good. I, I like that idea. I like that. right. <laughs> or how many containers do I have to sell to bring this in to be able to do that? No, and I can relate it, and and it becomes a real number that becomes valuable. And I don't. We don't have to do it. Yeah, you know, we can trust you to do it. So I I love that idea. I love that being able to do that. So, what about what do we tell the small businesses then? What do we, what do we, how do you, how do you get to them? I know that's kind of always a big challenge. Marketing is always a big deal with respect to you got technology and you got marketing, but what are the steps you need to take to be successful in this area? Oh, I get on your podcast and I'll also be a big promoter of yours. You know that now that Thank I know, you. now I'm that I know grateful. all about it. Yeah, we are grateful. Lior and I, uh, you know, this, we think, you know, it's interesting. Part of what we're doing right now is trying to figure out product market fit. This is what every startup needs to find out. You know, there's not one CEO or CFO that we've talked to that's got some significant amount of cash in the bank for a period of time that doesn't go, oh, I want this. But from a marketing outbound perspective, as you sort of zeroed in, how can we replicate that so that when we know if we spend a dollar on a certain vertical that we're going to get two or three back or whatever that number is, yeah. right? So that, you know, we can really focus on scaling our outbound through partnerships. I mean, I'm, you know, we know that there are groups that are fractional CFOs that we'd love to talk to because they'll have 20, 30, you know, sometimes several hundred or hundreds of clients. We're talking to a number of those and they can literally turn on our platform pretty quickly. They've been very excited about the platform because they, they right now, you know, they're the outsourced trusted partner to decide, do you use QuickBooks or Sage or NetSuite, whatever it may be. And then they're also saying, okay, use American Express cash management. We had um, one of our investors who's a big fractional group say, yeah, we we see this no different than a part of the tech stack for our customer to manage cash. And we get this a lot from fractional CFOs saying, we get questions about what to do with the cash all the time. So they want a safe place to put it. They like that this is uber conservative. This is risk-free money on the bottom end at today. And as you surmised, that might not always be the case as, as treasuries go down, but there are all kinds of other very conservative fixed income places to put your money if treasuries aren't going to be uh, a solution. So we really need to get with groups of businesses that aggregate small business. And then cons on the other end, there's maybe using our software as an API tool mm -hmm. for companies like a Jack Henry or a Finastra who provide the technology stack for banks. So we've had a number of banks calling us, but so far 
if any bank executive is hearing this, the sales cycles are long. They and are. To their credit, they have to really do a lot of due diligence and all that. But you know, we're too small to handle a really long sales cycle today, but we're not too small to do partnerships or even has a bank have a bank as a paying customer right now, right? Yeah. If they want to use it internally, uh, they could, you know, with their own treasury management solution, for instance. If, the, the other group that I come across are the CPAs and who have who are also trusted advisors. And oh, yes. Doing well, well, that's what I meant by fractional CFO. Oh, okay. Many of them are also CPAs. So you're yeah, at- Yeah, yeah. I put those in slightly different categories, but the thing yes. is that, because they have, they definitely have lots of clients. And I think of the number of people that I have come across and coach with who, you know, if for them, that becomes a great tool for them to be able to help be another value added service that they could provide to their clients. Because and they, they like it. it. The feedback I get is, wow, now I can make the money instead of tell them how much they should stop spending. Right. Right. I'm, I'm in a position to help them with revenue generation. So there's a lot of appeal there. We're literally in some cases we've had some C, uh, fractional uh, CFO CPAs tell us, wow, if I get my, you know, these three clients to do it, I'm actually free. Yep. Right. Yep. All of a sudden I've gotten rid of me as a line item. That's cool. Well, well, I'm 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 definitely going to run that by a couple of people that I will see in the next in the next month or next six weeks or so, just Thank to see what they think because I think I think that for them is harder to get through with the banks. I don't think it's as hard to get through the CPAs because they get right to their accounts, especially right now. It's all tax time and all tax returns. You know, they're going to know what's coming out. It might be a little early, but get them in the get them early in the the next fiscal year. I think that'd be really. We're also doing something new, Gary, I should share with you. And I, by sure. June, we'll be public with it. So since you're not launching this until then, this will be the first time I'll talk about it publicly. We are launching a new platform that will be sort of a sister business to Poplar. And we're calling it Pulse by Poplar. And the domain mm. pulse.poplar.money because our domain is money. Right. Love it. By that. Pulse is the opportunity for you to have your key KPIs in your calendar, which is one of your most underutilized assets. Your average CEO does not look at QuickBooks 20 times a day, but we sure are looking at our calendar 20 times a day, right? Or Absolutely. Absolutely. And so what we're enabling lead business leaders to do, or anybody in an organization, frankly, to set up systems where you can have KPIs in your calendar. So that could be, let's start at the C-suite. That could be all your credit cards in aggregate or all your single credit card spend. That could be all your bank accounts in aggregate or individual. And it could be the key things you want to know, your APAR, for instance, from QuickBooks. So we're launching with that in the next couple of weeks. We did. We are launching this platform because of all the conversations we're having with CFOs and CEOs and learning that that's a pain point, especially in this market where you've got lots of things constricting, right? At this time, watching cash, every day, multiple times a day is a best practice right now. Yeah. However, a lot of businesses don't have the systems and processes to do it easily. So we're really injecting this super easy way for you as the CEO to see your view. If you don't want, for instance, your assistant or other people in the company, perhaps employees, you, it's not necessary for whatever reason for them to see your bank balance, but let's say you do want them to get the key KPIs out of Salesforce, which is how many customer conversions did I get? Right. Right. If I'm the CMO, I might not need to know all the details of what's going on in Pipedrive or whatever I'm using in Salesforce, 
whatever the platform is, but maybe I want my key performance indicators without getting an email, without cluttering up my inbox and having to find it. Right. Most critical numbers. There's a great book called Your Most Important Number. And you might want your men, your most important numbers right in your calendar every day. Yeah, that's cool. That's really, really cool. Yeah. And uh, I don't, I don't tend, well, even though an engineer, I don't tend to be a huge numbers guy. I, I work best when somebody else is managing it for me because I tend to spend more than I should. But, uh, but anyway, I, I'm, somebody people look after. That's why there's cash in the bank now. Otherwise it might be a different story for me, but I appreciate that. So Genevieve, I had a couple other things I could talk to you about, uh, but I wanted to, I really wanted to explore this one at Poplar because I know it's, it's, I think it's a great value for the kind of businesses that, that we see and that I talk to and, and, and say, we're looking into it for ourselves. Cause I hadn't really thought, didn't know too much about it until I really anything about it until I looked it up the other day, been pre- preparing for our conversation today. So when we're, as uh, we're coming to the end of our time here, I just say, is there anything else you'd like to say? What was the last thing you'd like to say to entrepreneurs as they're looking at their, their business and their world here now in 2023? Well, for 2023, I think we all have to figure out how to do a lot more with less. I think any CEO or business leader that's not using chat GPT is doing themselves a massive disservice. I don't think that you know, I've, I've had people tell me, oh, I'm going to get replaced by chat GPT-3. No, Lior talks about it all the time. You know, it's, you're not going to get placed by GPT-3. You're going to get placed, replaced by a human using chat GPT. So, and I, I shouldn't have said three, it's going to be four around the corner or some sort of AI tool, right? Everyone on our team uh, started using chat GPT-3 as soon as it was ready. And we have literally cut our innovation cycle by another 20 to 30%. Uh, So no matter what you're doing, figure out a way, learn, get experience, figure it out, use it. It's going to save you time and money. The other thing is I see a lot of too much customer concentration, meaning that right today, if if more than 50% of your revenue is coming from one or two customers or in an industry, that in any way could be cyclical, that could have a downturn because you know your industry, figure out how to invest ahead of revenue if necessary, repackage your product and and do everything you can to be in multiple industries so that you are hedging. Because we could end up with some, we might not have hard times, but if you're not shoring up the base under your feet, you're doing yourself a massive disservice. You're really creating a vulnerable environment for you and your employees. And so I think right now, figuring out how you can generate cash flow that could be counter cyclical to what you're currently doing so that you have more security and that you don't have too much revenue concentration would be super smart. And I guess it goes without saying with what's been going on right now, make sure you've got two or three bank accounts, you know, one with a big company, you know, a big four, right? Chase City, Bank of America, et cetera, okay. Wells, and then, you know, a credit union there, they have a different insurance infrastructure. They have different rules. They're a lot tighter. They're not as friendly on the lending, but that doesn't matter because what you need right now is safe cash. A lot of businesses don't realize that FDIC insured doesn't mean you get your money the next day. If the company goes down, it might mean that you don't get it for months right. or weeks. And meanwhile, you're not making payroll. So why put yourself in that position, right? Anymore. The folks who got their money out, I have an investor at $100 million in uh, SVB, and 
they listened to the earnings call. They heard the math. They were not solvent. They laid it out in the earnings call and they did not hedge their treasuries. We still don't know what the contagion could be for that. Right. But, you know, do yourself a favor. Never, never be without two or three banks anymore. Yeah. And now a new skill is going to have to be part of your controller is load balancing your balance, your cash balances in different banks and making sure that you track that in a safe way. That is going to be the new best practice moving forward. Yeah. So well, that's, those are the things I'm thinking about. Well, there's a, there's a lot to unpack and take in there, Patrice, but I just want to one little cute little list is that your questions were also helped with support of chat GPT, by the way, how preparation for this call. <laughs> so we, <All> right. uh, <laughs> now, and of course they got something wrong, but I, so we know this, we, we know the humans aren't going to totally be replaced, but uh, that's brilliant. We, I love it. Yeah. So uh, Kim, who's on with that sports is helping out, but I just want to let you know, and I've listened to your thoughts on this. So Genevieve, thank you so much you. for being it on here. Privilege uh, that, and so much fun to talk to you. And I always enjoy, um, you're a phenomenal coach and you do such a great job with strategic coach. You've been super helpful to me and and also many others uh, through you, through me. So thank you for that. Yeah, well, thank you. I really appreciate appreciate being on. And and it was certainly worth, worth the wait of time to do that. So oh, and uh, look, look forward to seeing you soon again. Thanks a lot. To the audience today, thank you very much for listening. We've heard a great deal about shifting from defense to offense. And uh, as Genevieve talked about, being able to really manage your cast, being much more, I'd say, aggressive with that, but not being risky and uh, being conscious of what you need to do to make sure your business will stay solvent and grow and counter cyclical. I love, really love that last comment. And so to all of our audience out there, please, until next time, stay safe and stay healthy. Mm-hmm.